Thank you very much, Ken. All right, I've been asked to cover the third and the fourth commandments today. And uh, I was getting a bit worried about this fire here. <laughs> okay, but uh, let me do a little bit of, um, first of all, what's in a name? Let me do a little bit of word association. I'll mention the name and the place and uh, you can tell me the first thing that comes up in your mind. Ash Barty? Yeah, yeah, good. MCG? Cricket, football, grand final, yeah. Paul Hogan? Funny, yeah, he's a funny man. A lot of people, when you mention Paul Hogan, Crocodile Dundee or whatever his name is. What about Billy Graham? Yes, one of our greatest evangelists of our time, gone with the Lord. You know, when we hear certain names of places, certain images come to mind, don't they? Uh, we come up with a variety of thoughts that bring us back to that person or that situation. When we hear a name of a, of a loved one, someone that we know, we can immediately put them in our mind and we say, oh, we know that person, and it, it brings us joy and happiness. Uh, but sometimes when we hear about someone that has hurt us, that's a, a totally different thing, isn't it? Um, different feelings come to mind. Uh, you get this anger, perhaps, and, 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 and it's not the same as uh, when you're hearing something uh, uh, that makes you joy and happy. But whether we're right or wrong about our perception, our perception is our reality. You see, names have great meaning and significance. We identify by our names, and, whether we, and we don't like it, when they get it wrong. Now, having a second name like ours, they many times, uh, because it is difficult to pronounce. Um, in the Italian language, it's probably not that difficult. In fact, they laugh at it uh, because it means open book. Um, but in biblical times, names had a very special meaning. Um, your name often described your character or your nature. Uh, we read, for instance, Jacob means he deceives. And we know the story about Jacob, how he deceived many, and in fact, in the end, he was deceived himself. Abraham means father of many nations. Uh, Peter means rock, and so on. We can go on through that, through some of the words in Scripture. You know, when someone hears your name, they immediately think of your characteristics and the images they have about you and who you are. When we think about God in this third commandment, we must understand it in the same way. So what's in a name? Everything. When we think about God, God's character and his nature, they are all wrapped up in his name, aren't they? So how do we bring honour to God's name? How can we make people think good things about God when they hear his name or simply when we're talking about God or about Jesus, etc.? This third commandment is one verse. It's found in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 7, and, and this is what it reads. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. That's pretty serious stuff. The Lord doesn't want any one of us misrepresenting, misusing, or using his name in an empty manner. If we're going to take up his name, we're going to be called or call ourselves Christians, then we need to represent him very well. Now, in Leviticus chapter 24, we read a story about two men who got into a fight. During that fight, one of the men 
cursed God's name. Now, God told Moses that if anyone curses his God, he will be held responsible and anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord must be put to death. The entire assembly must stone him. Now, this illustrates just how serious God is about his name. You see, folks, profanity has no place in the speech of those who consider themselves as Christians or followers of Christ. If we use God's name in our speech, we need to make sure that we use it appropriately and reverently. It means we don't use God's name in vain. Using God's name in vain means that we are using God's name in a worthless and empty way. There is no substance to what we're saying. It also means that God, we don't ask God to damn something. Think about that. Think about what we're asking God to do when we're asking him to damn something. We're asking God to do something which is absolutely and totally outside his character and his nature. Do we really want to, do we really want to ask God to cast something or someone to hell for eternity? That's not what God would want. And it's not what we should want. Remember, God doesn't want any to perish. Now, the commandment also reminds us about cursing. In James chapter 3, James tells us, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Plain, clear and simple. You know, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, we are representing God. As Christians, we ought to reflect our God. Our beliefs, our faith, our trust is all wrapped up in who we worship. Now, God's name was so revered that originally in Hebrew scriptures, I didn't get a chance to, to make up some overheads, but it was written as YHWH, which was the name of God with no vowels in it. They felt that his name was too holy to write. They revered it so highly that the Jews did not even attempt to even pronounce the name Yahweh in fear of being irreverent. Now, how different is that from today? Today, God's name is flippantly used to express anger or surprise. You hardly can watch a movie these days or listen to the radio without hearing God's name being used irreverently. Colossians in Colossians 3 reminds us, whatever we do or say, we are to do it in the name of Jesus. When we are talking to people, when we are singing, when we are preaching, when we are praying, joking, or making promises we can't, oh, sorry, or, or, or playing, remember that Jesus is right there with you. In any situation, we should not be gossiping, spreading rumours, or making promises we can't keep. We should be praising and glorifying God in all that we say and do. We find salvation in the name of Jesus. This is the best use of God's name. And in Acts chapter 4 it says, 
There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Philippians 2 tells us, God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And Romans 10 and verse 13 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. By confessing it in our, with our mouth and believing in our hearts, we are saved. Praise God for that, eh? Think of the names of Jesus in Isaiah 9. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus is our Great Shepherd. What do you think about when you hear the name of God? What does this all mean? Very simply, we need to be very wise with our speech. God's name represents life to you and me. There are many ways we can use God's name in our speech that bring him honour. Let's make sure that we honour God through our speech and show the world who Jesus is. Now, the fourth commandment talks about remembering the Sabbath. Let me just read that from Exodus chapter 20. Remember the Sabbath, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, neither you nor your son or your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now this is this fourth commandment is the last of the commandments that deal with the way that we honour, respect and worship our God. Um, some say it's referred to as one of the forgotten commandments because so many people don't give it the weight and the priority as any of the other commandments. Yet, according to God, they, are each, they each hold the same weight and sacredness. Uh, we need to remember that they are the Ten Commandments. They're not ten suggestions. They're not ten options. They are the Ten Commandments grouped as one. They are just like the, the fruit of the Spirit. Now, in Numbers 15, once again, God gives us an incident that helps us to understand just how serious he is about the Sabbath. While the, I'll read that out. While the Israelites were in the wilderness, a man was found gathering wood on the Sabbath day. Those who found him gathering wood brought him to Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly, and they kept him in custody because it was not clear what should be done to him. Then the Lord said to Moses, the man must die. The whole assembly must stone him outside the camp. So the assembly took him outside the camp and stoned him to death. 
as the Lord had commanded Moses. This is the very same punishment reserved for those who commit adultery and for those who committed murder. Seems harsh, but God made an example of this man. If God had allowed him to go free or have a lesser punishment, before too long, people would consider the Sabbath just another day. It would lose its sacredness in the lives of the people of Israel and become just a day, pretty much like it is today. And God did not want that. Now, Jesus tells us that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So this morning, I want to just give us six reasons why God gave us the Sabbath. First one is to give our bodies a rest. Man is to work, but he's given six days to do that work in. And according to God, who created us, he knows that the body is not made to be working all the time or continuously. He knows that it needs a rest. Just as God in creation worked for six days and rested on the seventh, so too humanity is to carry on this principle. And it includes everyone. It includes servants, includes foreigners, includes animals, because animals played a big part in those days too. Now, in Egypt, the Israelites worked every day from sunrise to sunset. God took the Israelites out of Egypt so that they could come and experience a godly way of life. Folks, our bodies are the, are the temple of the Lord and God wants to live in a rested, well, whole dwelling place. Some of us come to church to have a bit of a nap. I'm not saying... But that might be the message too. <laughs> the second reason is life is more important than working every day to support our habits. Now you might say, well, Sam, I don't have any habits. I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't gamble. And that is very good. But I'm talking about the habit of things. I'm talking about the habit of materialism. Life is more important than acquiring possessions. You know, we shouldn't be buying things to feel better or be more important than other people. You know, I know people that just don't get their priorities right. I had, we had a, a young guy who worked with us for a little while. He's no longer there. Let's, let's call him Johnny. He, um, he was really struggling to have lunch. He couldn't get lunch. I said, oh, I said, are you having lunch? Said, oh, no, I can't afford it. I haven't got any money, whatever. Okay, so, you know. I'm sure most of us would do the same thing. I said, oh, look, I'll buy you lunch today. And I think I bought him lunch a couple of times. A week later, Johnny had taken the, the day off. I said, oh, where's Johnny today? He's going to get a tattoo on his arm. <laughs> and I'm thinking, you can't put food on the table you get a tattoo on your arm. You see what I mean? Yeah. But nice guy, but, you know, yeah, just priorities are wrong. And then there are those who are willing to sacrifice their family life and their spiritual life for the sake of accumulating more and more possessions. 
You know, Jesus condemned the rich man for accumulating more possessions. You remember the man who said, I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones to hold more stuff in them? It's in Luke 12. He was bragging about his status and his importance in life by how much stuff he had. And you know what? Jesus in this parable declares, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded of you. Jesus didn't call him a fool because he had abundant things, but rather that his life was all about those things. His priorities were wrong. The third reason is to find spiritual rest. Just as our physical bodies get tired and weary, so does our spirit and soul become tired and weary. Continued stress and weariness can overwhelm us. We become discouraged and we become pressured from the inside. Our survival doesn't depend on our outward physical strength, but also on how strong we are on the inside. And you know who knows this best? Satan. He knows all about this and he attacks us continually with inward weariness. I don't want to go to church today. I feel really tired. I'm worn out. I need a rest. I've had a big week. That's exactly how Satan wants you to think. You see, he knows that when we come to church and we think about the goodness of God, we always leave feeling better than when we came. Is that true? I don't know about you guys, but I've come to church sometimes. I feel really tired. I almost want to do the same thing, sleep in, the, in one of the pews. But you know what? When I, can't, when I go, I'm energised. I am boosted up and I'm spiritually revived. Jesus said in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You know we find something in the presence of God that we will not find anywhere else. The fourth reason. God said for us to remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy so that we can meet with him and worship him. We are to devote that one day to God. God is not saying, if you've got nothing to do this Sunday, come and worship me. No, he's not saying that at all. God is saying, on the day I am to be worshipped, don't make any plans, come and worship me. And I'm going to call it Sunday. Sunday now, as a result of the new covenant inaugurated by Christ. But the Sabbath, which was a Saturday, was replaced by the Lord's Day, Sunday. It's the same, I think... um, uh, Oh, gee, the names of Pat. Pat mentioned that he spends time with Lorraine. Boy, the names are bad. <laughs> but it's the same with us. Desi and I, every third on our anniversary, we go out to dinner. No, I mean, it's, it's pretty hard that time of the year because a lot of restaurants are closed. <laughs> That's why we sometimes we go away. But we will make that appointment to meet with each other that day. It's not once a year, it's during the year too. But that's a special day we keep... And that's what we are to do on that seventh day, on that first day of the week. We need to come here and worship God. You see, our God is a loving and merciful God, but he is also a jealous God. He's so jealous for us. We were reminded that last week 
I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. You see, God wants to be the highest priority in your life. The fifth reason coming to church is for our learning. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says to us, Christ himself has given us apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists and teachers for the perfecting of his people, for the work of the ministry, until we all come into the unity of the faith and onto the knowledge of the Son of God. You know, until we arrive at the full knowledge of Christ, we need to be in church listening to those who are teaching us and being ministers, ministered to from the Bible. And we are also to come to church to bring unto God an offering of our first fruits so we may worship and thank God for his blessings. And in church, each of us have God-given talents to build one another up. And the final reason, we are together with God's people to find fellowship and a sense of belonging. God wants us to meet on the Sabbath so that we can be together as brothers and sisters to worship him. In Hebrews 10, the Apostle Paul again reminds us of the importance of meeting together so that we can encourage and spur one another on towards love and good deeds. We are a spiritual family. During the week, we're all scattered. One's at work, one's at school, whatever, wherever you are. But then we come here on a Sunday morning and we share with one another. We are to love one another, pray for each other and share one another's burden. You know, the best people to be around are the people who love God with all their heart, with all their soul and with all their strength. They will be there for you when you need a friend, when you need a brother, when you need a sister, when you need a prayer partner. One American pastor makes this analogy. God did not make us as camels where they go a long time without water and nourishment. He made us as sheep who need to be near water and green pasture, being close to the flock and being guided by the good shepherd. Let me conclude by this. The law demands nothing but perfection. Only one man kept it perfectly, Christ. We heard that this morning. Not only did he keep the law, but he also paid the complete penalty for the broken law. The law was given to expose our sin. For we all fall short of the glory of God. Human pride makes us think that we can please God by ourselves. But let me say this. If we approach God by the law, there is no provision for failure. But if we cry for mercy, as the Apostle Paul did in Romans 7, when he asked, who will rescue me from this body of death? The answer comes back. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen to that, eh? 
I'm going to close in prayer, but I'm going to use some phrases from Psalm 19 as I pray. Father, your law is perfect, converting our soul. Your commandments are pure, enlightening our eyes. Your judgments, Lord, are true and righteous. They are more desirable than gold and sweeter than honey. Father, we thank you that you warn us. Help us to understand the errors of our way. And we thank you for seeing us righteous through the blood of your son, Jesus. For you, O Lord, are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Thank you, guys.